Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Sock Club. You can find me in the club, and this holiday season you can join the club too or give the gift of Sock Club to someone else. In this club, you will receive quality American-made socks every month. So go to SockClub.com and get 15% off using the discount code CANADALAND at checkout. Good evening, Edmonton. I'm going to see how quickly I can turn this crowd against me. Um, (laughs) If Canada were a house, Edmonton would be its boiler room. On first glance, or even on third, it seems not much a city as a jumble of a used building lot where the spare office towers and box-shaped apartment buildings and cinder block motels discarded in the construction of real cities have been abandoned to waste away in the cruel prairie winter. 
That's what Mordecai Richler wrote in the New York Times in 1985. He added to that that Wayne Gretzky is a curiously bland 24-year-old in a gray flannel suit. <laughs> Whatever else this gentleman or anyone else here might want to say about Mordecai Richler, I think we have to give him full props for trolling Canada hard. That, he knew how to troll Canada. And uh, Edmonton got revenge. <laughs> um, the Edmonton Sun published Mordecai Richler's home telephone number in retaliation <laughs> and invited readers to call him up. They doxed him. They doxed Richler in 85. You guys are progressive here. Um, so that seems like Richler had a very uh, pejorative and reductive criticism of the city that I'm in right now. I have uh, perhaps a more generous uh, but no more informed take on Edmonton. I've been here, I don't know, a dozen times. My opinion is based on encounters with uh, a few people I dated, a few friends of mine, a lot of journalists I know, and a string of weird news stories that keep popping up from here. Uh, in fact, I just learned you got three Doctor Who podcasts and that the KKK had an office next to the hotel where I'm staying. My take on Edmonton uh, ill-informed as it may be, is that this is a weird city. A strange place that has never quite conformed to my idea of, of Alberta. Uh, a strange progressive bent for a city that's in an oil province and, and a place that seems to produce a lot of very clear-eyed and caustic critics. Uh, people who are very good at criticizing Toronto, by the way. <laughs> this evening, we're going to test my thesis with our intrepid panel. A panel that is made up of Tristan Hopper from the National Post, reporter for the National Post. Sheila Pratt joins us, a longtime uh, and former feature writer with the Edmonton Journal, currently freelance journalist and author. And Chris Chang Yen Phillips, who's a, a journalist who's worked previously at the CBC, works currently as news coordinator at CJSR and is the historian laureate for Edmonton. We are here live at the Garneau Theatre for Edmonton Lit Fest. Thank you very much. Please, a warm round of applause for our panel. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Chris Chapman, Sylvie, Janet McDonald, Aaron Conway-Smith, Devin Ingraham, Yvonne Chin, Edmund Stapleton, and is there someone here who supports Canada Land? What's your name? Olav. Olav Rockney. Olav, why did you decide to be awesome? The media's in a tough place, and some good questions need to be asked about why that is. Thank you very much. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does 
BetterHelp. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Hey guys, this is Jesse in the studio, not in Edmonton for a moment, just to tell you about our sponsors for this episode. This episode of CanadaLand is also brought to you by ShipStation, which this holiday season is a great way to keep your customers happy if you are a person who sends things to customers over the internet. This is a busy time for you. And one thing I haven't talked much about when it comes to ShipStation is that the people who decide to buy things from you will be very happy. And that means that your seller rating will be very high, whether you're using Etsy or Shopify or any other platform to sell your stuff. You can use ShipStation as the one-stop solution for shipping your stuff to people, getting the orders from all of those different places and spitting out shipping labels that are compatible with FedEx or UPS or Canada Post. ShipStation will help you choose the right carrier to get the lowest rate for every package you got to send. No wonder they are the number one choice for online sellers. Do not wait. Go to ShipStation.ca and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in CanadaLand. That's ShipStation.ca. Enter CanadaLand. And this episode is brought to you by Giftogram. Giftogram, of course, is the app that is going to save your ass this holiday season. If you have not started doing your holiday shopping yet, who are you kidding? You are not going to get it all done. The malls are insane right now. Why not just pluck the low-hanging fruit? Go and download Giftogram to your Android or iOS device. They have curated a list of wonderful gifts, and with three taps, you can send these things to anybody who you want to. It's so super easy to send gifts. And some of these things they have, I've talked about some of the gifts that I'd like to get in the past. They also have wonderful things here for the women in your life. There is beautiful jewelry. You can buy somebody a mani-pedi. There are boxes, gift boxes of lotions and balms and creams, elixirs. It's all there. Go check it out. Who doesn't want to get this stuff? And right now for listeners of this podcast, they're just giving you 20 bucks. $20 off of the first gift that you send. There are gifts on Giftogram for $24, so you can give that gift for 4 bucks. There is just no reason not to do this. You're going to have to buy the gifts anyhow. Download Giftogram. Use the offer code CanadaLand for your 20 bucks. It is a game changer this holiday season. Let's just start with a thesis, and uh, let's uh, figure out if we can go pro or con here. Tristan, am I on to anything? Is this a strange town? Uh, strange towns usually don't have the world's largest mall in them. Uh, so I would have to disagree. Uh, I think Edmonton is an extremely normal place and a comfortingly normal place. I mean, it, it's, it's actually, we get a lot of movies coming here because um, it's basically you have these suburbs that look like 
the 50s just froze in place. So, yeah, we'll have movie crews like, why didn't you bulldoze your suburbs and build like, you know, something more modern? And we're like, oh, we forgot that those years happened. Uh, so, no, we're built on a grid pattern. Uh, I mean, we live in the suburbs and we drive downtown. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's families where just the man works and like, you know, his wife stays at home and raises kids. So, no, I think it's like traveling back in time. And that could be weird. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say we're... Uh, th there's no people riding Penny Forth. I think it's diverse enough here that it can't get too weird. Because if I, like, leave my house on a Penny Farthing, you know, I have a Chinese neighbor who will be like, well, that's ridiculous, why are you doing that? And I'll just, you know, act normally. So it's normal in a 1950s context, but not in a, a hipsters waxing their mustaches kind of a way. Well, we are in the Garneau Theater, so I think we're surround we are in hip peak hipster central, so this is, this, is not, <laughs> this is not an accurate representation of Edmonton. Most people are overweight and driving trucks. And not at the Canada Land podcast right now. There are a lot of flavors of weird, and if we're going to limit weirdness to simply like Portlandia-style uh, guys on old-timey bicycles. Um, when I read your work, I read about uh, this stadium that was built with no parking for some reason. And I read about the waiting 15 minutes for an LRT where there's six people on it. Uh, yes, uh, I'm, actually, I'm a terrible guest for this podcast because I don't actually write about Edmonton unless there's something like... Uh, they need someone to bash Edmonton. That's all news, local though. reporters aren't too good at that because you'll just get emails for the next two weeks saying, go back to Toronto. Um, so, yeah, that's my only job at the National Post. I write about other things, and then whenever they're like, oh, did they build this, like, arena with no parking, or there's this LRT that's not working, or, you know, you elected a moose as mayor or something, uh, then, <laughs> then they'll ask me to do it. So, yeah, I, I suppose that doesn't make me tremendously popular here. Sheila, do you want to respond to our... Uh... Yeah, uh, I, I still like you, Tristan, even though you have to write those stories. Oh, thank but, you. Yeah, it's, I, no, Edmonton is not weird. It's wonderful. That's the side Edmonton I would see. I think it is, um, you're right about being progressive in the middle of Alberta, which for 40 years was less than that with so many years of Tory government. Um, but, Deva, it, you did hit on Edmonton's infrastructure problem. We have these constant problems getting things built. And so now we have an LRT that as you're right, it, was, it took 15 minutes to go 40 feet, or for many years it only went 10 kilometers and most of the city was not served by it. So we do, I think we do have a problem getting infrastructure built. Or sometimes we need two of everything. For a long time we had two airports. And then we have two convention centers, because we have one out there uh, in Northlands and then we have one downtown. So we need two of everything, which is also very inefficient. But otherwise, in the last, since Mordecai was here giving his description, things have moved on quite a bit. We've closed an airport, and now we can build tall buildings. Yeah, how's Mordecai doing? Yeah. But he's Ooh. regretting that. <laughs> um, I may abandon this weird premise in a moment you and come may. back to you because I think you uh, will. I'm not sure that we're going to call it weird, but I want to hear about what happened uh, at the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun, uh, which, like, like I say, whenever Edmonton pops up onto my radar, Maybe it's not always strange, but it always seems to be striking. Um, and I know that you were a witness to some of those goings on. But first, let's, let's see what Chris has to say about this. I don't follow sports too closely, but based on that quote, I think our hockey players are hotter now than they were in the 80s. Um, but I think another thing that, that does kind of strike That's me is... totally wrong, by the way. <laughs> totally wrong. Gretzky and the guys were not hot. You were probably two years old then. I wasn't born yet. Oh, you weren't born yet. <laughs> Even worse. Um, but something that does strike me as true about that is like the, the boiler room part of it. Like Edmonton does have 
a pretty proud blue collar element to it. Uh, I happen to be married to someone who's a journeyman electrician and very proud of it. And um, you know, Edmonton has also like a labor organizing history that's pretty interesting. I think what is unique maybe about Edmonton is that we are really, really good at the Canadian um, pastime of professional forgetting. Sometimes we forget that we have thousands of years of history here. I, we have really, really interesting stories here that I, I think um, get obscured by like every time a building gets torn down. For example, the where the Ku Klux Klan used to publish their newspaper is now a parking lot. Yeah. Thank heavens. <laughs> That's appropriate. <laughs> You're not going to find many people uh, arguing for the heritage <laughs> preservation of that site, I suppose. So I am the next fact... time you get angry at a parking lot, just imagine there was a racist monument there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the reason I'm learning about this is because I do this history podcast where I help people answer questions about Edmonton history. So the next one is, someone has asked me, can we get a plaque put up where the KKK used to publish that paper? So someone is trying to remember. That is, that is happening. The, the other aspect of this is a, a just walking around somewhat sometimes abandoned downtown core and just one solitary figure in like a, a multicolored rainbow neon camouflage with a kilt. I feel like, uh, I mean, we have colorful characters, uh, you know, anywhere you go in this, uh, in this country, but I feel like there's, if you're a little bit strange here, you're going to get singled out anyhow, so you might as well just go for it. You might as well just like triple down. Uh, I, you know, so I see... Uh, a lot of people committing. Yeah, I think there are lots of people who are unselfconscious about being weird here. I may be wrong on this, but uh, I think Edmonton, you could, you could benefit from Edmontonians sort of keep to themselves. This is what I like about Edmonton. This is the first city I've lived in where mm, I'll just be doing something unusual and people won't feel the need to like broadcast their thoughts about this unusual thing I'm doing. So uh, like in Vancouver, I used to have this inflatable kayak I'd put on my back and like I'd use it to walk to the ocean and go for a kayak. And every five minutes in Vancouver, and this happened in Toronto too when I take it, and they'd be like, oh, wow, well, the water's that way. Oh, where's that kayak? And everybody had like their own thoughts about it. And here, I'll just have this like kayak and I'm carrying paddles and I'll pass dozens of people saying, well, none of my business. <laughs> Or they're just young people who have to go work at Enbridge. They, they don't have time to talk to me about some kayak on my back. So, yeah, if you're dressed up like a vampire here, people are going to be like, ah, it's easier not to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> Sheila, let's put this back uh, into a media context. Uh, this is what I keep an eye on. And I, I first started to see that there was some kind of disturbance in the, in the force, a ripple in the post-media network. <laughs> Tristan's hanging his head in... Uh, <laughs> well, I showed up late that day after yeah, half, half right. of everyone was fired, and I was like, how's everybody doing? Well, we're actually backing up, I think. There's, there's a, a couple different moments where uh, endorsements were rammed down the throat of, of local editors here, and uh, there was a bit of a rebel spirit in, in this city that, that popped up uh, on That's our radar. Right. That's right. Our, our editor, Margot Goodhand, was the one who blew the whistle on, on the, um, the orders to uh, endorse Tory parties in, in the last election, and uh, when after doing that twice and uh, um, confirming that's what happened, uh, well, she was of course fired when the um, uh, the layoffs happened in January uh, this year, and I think she was worried for a while that <laughs> that might happen, given the, the bosses didn't say anything. But one can one can imagine that wasn't. The idea was that wasn't supposed to come out, but that's what happened. And I think she knew perfectly well that that was going to be out of, uh, uh, out of the paper would be out of sync with the community here uh, doing those endorsements, and, and it was. So it was, um, it was helpful that that came out. 
to back up and give that a little bit of context and, and why that mattered so much and why I think that was so disheartening, my understanding from what I, I, I learned speaking to a number of people is that the journal was a fantastic paper under Margot Goodhand and an interesting paper in, in that uh, it was a place where women had an unprecedented level of access to power and, and held powerful positions and the paper was very connected to its community and sort of a, a long-term uh, the values of serving your community. Yeah, it had, it had been for many years. In fact, when I first joined the paper, the uh, the publisher at the time was um, uh, J.P. O'Callaghan, and, and we just had an election where all but four opposition members were, uh, there were only four opposition members left after the election, and O'Callaghan made the famous statement that, well, the media is going to have to be the opposition because we need someone to keep the government held to account, which was a controversial statement, but did reflect, I think, the role the media played for a lot of years, that it raised those questions and was pretty feisty. And I think that reflected what Edmontonians wanted. If there's one thing that local readers would not want is to have their political choices dictated by Paul Correct. Godfrey uh, in his yeah. Toronto office. Right. He owned the paper, so it was his right to do it, as Margot pointed out, but it wasn't really done before, uh, certainly not in my time at the paper anyway. The suggestion made here is that her termination was retribution. Well, no one, you can, I'm not sure you can actually say that. I mean, she was uh, let go because all 25 of us, 25 people were let go. And uh, she and the managing editor, Stephanie Coombs, was let go first. And then we all got the email about that. And then we were told there would be a meeting in our uh, office at 11 a.m. I guess you came in after that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, very yeah. <laughs> wise, very wise. I got your keyboard now. You did, I know. <laughs> Still has stories in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I got the email that Margot and Stephanie had been let go and, um, and, I, and that there was a meeting. And I was on my way out to an interview, so I said, oh, there's nothing good happening here. I went out to the interview and I skipped the meeting because <laughs> I knew probably what was happening. So I came back about noon and people were going through this terrible process of walking down to the office and being told, you're with us or you're not with us. And uh, it was a pretty awful day. It's the worst day I've ever seen in a workplace. <laughs> It's a terrible story, and it's such a strange one, too, when you consider that uh, a city has, uh, you know, hopefully at least two papers taking different points of view, and they're yeah. competitors, and they're ideologically opposed in many ways, and then mm -hmm. despite promises to the contrary when they get gobbled up by the same company that they'll never be merged together, that happens. And then even when that happens, I think that the assumption was just because the journal was such a respected paper and the leadership was so respected that the journal would sort of win. Uh, and that, that's not how it happened. Uh, uh, you know, it's really interesting. They, the Sun um, people moved into our building, but we were told they will always be separate newsrooms. And uh, so that was the double whammy of this uh, um, event. It, not only were 25 journal people laid off, but the two newsrooms were brought together. So I went into the newsroom the next morning and was sitting in, in right across the desk from a couple of Sun reporters where there had been journal reporters. Some, they're lovely people. It was just, <laughs> no, seriously, they are, and they're good journalists too, no, but it was. <laughs> leave the toilet seat up. They don't you know, flush. leave the toilet seat mm -hmm. up. Yeah, they right. promised that wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, it was, it was a very awkward, uh, difficult situation, and it was a blow because it, it does end competitive newsrooms, and uh, you, everyone out there who reads these papers knows that. The journal copy ends up in the sun, sun writers end up in the journal, so it's your, everybody's getting the same 
um, copy, same stories. And uh, so how, how do you actually do that when the two papers were very, very different to begin with, different slants in their editorials, they covered different kind of news. Just like you said, Jesse, it was a, a merger of two very different um, creatures. You know, in that, uh, Edmonton was not weird because that same process played itself out yes. throughout this country with post-media mergers. And whenever I think about that story, it just occurs to me, like, what an insult it is to the readers to have these supposedly two very different papers, uh, one a broadsheet, one a tabloid, one seemingly leaning left, one seemingly leaning, leaning right. They, they position themselves as trying to serve different readerships, and the news is coming from the same. They're all basing it. They're just rewriting the same reporting for two different audiences. And I'm really curious if anything has sort of popped up to fill that void or where people are getting their information from in this town since that happened or if this, uh, if this kind of subterfuge is, you know, at least for the moment working where people feel like, oh, it's, it's still the same. We still have these two different papers. Yeah, no, I'd, be, I, I'd really like to take the measure of that as well. I mean, I just think everybody's noticing it's the same and I think that's probably hurting um, circulation. I don't know. I haven't seen any figures, but I can't imagine that it's serving the reader. I don't buy the anti-democracy argument, which you hear a lot about these consolidations where like, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of Canadian cities where both papers are now owned by one, you know, giant benevolent megacorporation, uh, Post Media. Uh, thus, we're sort of, uh, you know, shut off from all this news. But I mean, that would have made sense in like 1975, because if you imagine it's 1975 and you see Peter Lougheed literally strangle a guy and you want to tell the media, um, you go to the Edmonton Journal, you go to the Edmonton Sun, and you go to a couple of radio stations, and then if they turn you, turn you down, all you can do is just stand on a street corner with a cardboard sign and be like, oh, Peter Lougheed strangle a guy. Um, so there are so many more media options these days. I think it's sort of, uh, you know, almost a Victorian notion that with all the newspapers being owned by one, that we're suddenly getting less news. Because your availability of news has never been wider, uh, where you have, you know, <clears throat> Canada and uh, various others that you can go to with news and not being the paper. Although, well, you're I'm supposed to come here and say you shouldn't get your news from any of those liars and uh, stick with the newspaper, but uh, no, I don't <laughs> buy that we're less democratic because they're consolidating. I think it's potentially in that one instance, but I think the overall level of democracy is just gotten much higher and uh, we're hemorrhaging money and uh, we can't continue to convince u.s bondholders to lose money on us so oh no it, it of course hemorrhaging money on top of a huge debt load you have declining newspaper revenues that are hitting every part of the business so you can see why it happened i think there's less news because there's fewer reporters 26 fewer from our side and a few fewer from the sun side so that's fewer stories chris it's definitely flashy, and it, it's terrible that those newsrooms have been cut so much, but there's a, there are other parts of that ecosystem still around. I think Metro and CBC are still doing a lot of the like basic, like, here's the stuff that happened today. Um, there are lots of media outlets, traditional and otherwise, doing the analysis. Um, at CJSR, we have lots of shows in community radio that are still doing the, here's what we think about what happened. Um, there are great blogs. There's Dave Berta out doing awesome political news. Um, there's this amazing new initiative started in Edmonton, Taproot, too, that's doing great. Um, how can we think about these important questions in our city? I think there are other parts of the ecosystem. I, 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 I hurt for everybody that lost their job in post media, but I, I, yeah, I don't, I think there are other parts of that ecosystem that are filling that niche. I think we live in an environment where these like big Woodward and Bernstein, like 
stories that, you know, these big investigative journalism stories, I don't even see as like, uh, you know, we're a mid-sized market. I can't really see those being taken on by a newspaper. So say uh, we find out some senior government official is doing something just incredibly heinous. Uh, I mean, these types of stories are run by some like blogger who just has like 18 hours a day to work on it. Uh, I think it's, it's harder for like a mid-sized paper. I mean, you, you sort of, you're known within the community, you sponsor events. Uh, you're going to be less likely, especially in this kind of financial situation, to sort of bet the paper uh, on something that risky. So I think we live in an environment where all these like you know big journalism things that you know we all get proud about as journalists, like oh we did this and we found this and we uncovered this. Uh, I think that's that's less and less a role for for newspapers. Well, that that could be. There's certainly um, we we it wasn't that long ago newspapers were still doing that kind of thing. I mean, I think of the. Karen Cleese package on foster kids and kids in care that was a lot of data work and that but there are a lot of really good specific um, websites like um, uh, everything from the, from the intercept to National Observer that can go really deep on certain issues especially a lot of environmental websites uh, that are doing the kind of work um, in a much more specialized way. Now, I, I, I think that's a really great outlet for that kind of stuff. You can go to those, especially if you want specialized content, you can uh, go to those websites. Yeah, but guys, come on. I'm, I, I'm, I'm of course, going to be on your side that uh, what online news collection, news analysis, news criticism has brought is uh, an incredible plethora of choices for where people get their information and it's enlivened the democracy to have so many more people conversing. And then when you're just talking about simple news gathering, if what we're talking about is a, a car crash or a fire, that's going to beat the uh, you know first responder news crew anytime everyone's got their camera out on their phone. But there is a loss. We've lost something. Well, here's an example we have of how fewer it's reporters so like Sheila when, absolutely, absolutely when we lost. Ralph Klein was stumbling around <laughs> junk, drunk, like throwing change at people. Mm -hmm. um, how long did it take the Edmonton Journal to confirm that? Because nowadays, it'd be instant. You get you know, Twitter, it hit a million blogs, and the papers would actually have it only to pick took it up. a it only took a day or two. Graham but Thompson and a couple other reporters got that right away. But was there a situation where everybody kind of knew? It was sort of like with Rob Ford, everybody kind of knew he had an alcohol problem. It took, it took you know, Gawker to sort of you know, bust it out so that they had to report. Was it a similar situation where everybody in the press gallery knew there was something up, but had to wait until he was literally throwing change at a homeless <laughs> shelter? Well, I think you had to wait till there was a, a moment where his drinking affected how he did his job and that was the absolute perfect example of it that night in the homeless shelter so that's when you report it you're defining a news event in, in kind of narrow terms if there are no other news events aside from politicians throwing change <laughs> while drunk right um, outside of Woodward and Bernstein uh, cracking Watergate and uh, Ralph Klein throwing change at homeless people in a shelter there's the daily business oh yes of I should point out that I am not a real journalist and I write about you know, stupid things that don't affect your lives in any way. So, yes, please continue reading those people and buying them. <laughs> when we talk about people whose job it is just to simply do basic accountability journalism and cover the legislatures and file ATIPs and know their beat up and down, uh, that's what's lost. Yeah, and it's lost in in uh, in a day-to-day -day sense and also just, just numbers. I mean, you used to have two and three people at City Hall, now we have one. If you just do it on that basic level, yeah, there's way fewer stories. Newspapers, I, I always think, are the last kind of department store, <clears throat> excuse me, version of things. There's, they have to have something for everyone. They have a life section, entertainment section, sports, and even in the news, we have to have a nice soft feature to get your grandma to read the paper and uh, hard news to 
whatever. Um, so it's, it's a really difficult model, and that's why a lot of these online ones, I think, have gone way more specific and con concentrated in certain areas, and newspapers are trying to cover this whole base, and it's just very difficult, if not impossible, to do, A, with declining revenues, and B, with fewer reporters. Chris, how, Sheila, how, how has Elise Stolte carved out a space to do Isn't she great? That work, yeah, yeah the Edmonton Journal. Mm -hmm. She is doing freedom of information requests. She just demanded the city of Edmonton publish data on which parts of the city would flood. No, but you know how she got that? Else. That's even more interesting, because lots of people do FOIPs, but she got that by working with someone who was looking at the city's open data and came up with this said and came to her and said well, what do we do with this mm. and uh, I, that i think that's a really hopeful thing actually can you tell that, me a little bit that, more about that what's well, the what, what it's, is a, it's a story that the city had uh mapped out flood risks for for neighborhoods down they, to like like by like inch by inch right? yeah this you could see on your street are you in the 50-year flood plain or is your flood going to happen tomorrow i mean it's not quite like that but anyway they, they didn't want to release that information publicly so which i wasn't never could understand they thought what people would panic <laughs> I don't know anyway a very enterprising citizen which brings us to citizen journalism can't stop without talking about that anyway had had used the, the city's open data somehow to get access to this and then went to Elise and said what do we what do we do what can be done with this and she figured out a way to um, use it and then had to go apply to get it public and it succeeded she's outstanding too she the yeah. way that she engages with readers through facebook yeah. to like generate story ideas and get feedback on mm -hmm. stories as she's working on them is really outstanding yeah. you know she's a great believer that you can do a lot of journalism with the help of the community and get the community engaged and that's that's a, an important frontier you know at least it's also a good, good example because uh, she is sort of that you know old-timey very critical examining everything reporter i think uh the risk you're going to get in any any Canadian journalism, but particularly in mid-sized markets and particularly in cities like Edmonton, which have a bit of an inferiority complex and can remember what Mordecai Richler said 30 years ago, <laughs> is that uh, there's much more of an expectation that newspapers are just going to be uh, just full-blown boosters. And you see that a lot. I mean, if you pick up, a, uh, you know, there's a lot of just, you know, we're going to build this LRT. It's awesome. It's the greatest LRT that's ever been built. You know, we're going we're gonna to give Daryl Cates this dump truck of money. He'll be the, build this, like, wonderful arena. It'll be great. <coughs> and Elise is this example. I'm sure she gets told to go back to Toronto three times a day. Uh, She's from Alberta. Yeah, that exactly. Helps. But but the fact is, even if you're born and raised in Alberta, they'll just the fact that you're a critical you reporter. They're like, obviously, you're not from around here, because you know it's just this whisper society of like everything's fine. Or Toronto, I suppose. Or is yeah. that just where people are banished? Or maybe Calgary. <laughs> Yeah, so that seems to be an indicator when I've, I've noticed it here, much more here than any, any market I've ever worked in where, you know, this is the slightest criticism of like, maybe this isn't a great idea. I mean, it happens to Paula Simons, as opposed to me, it happens to Elise, I'm sure, uh, both Albertans. Uh, and they'll say, you know, go back to Toronto because this isn't how journalism is done here. Everything's fine. Everything's fine doesn't ever make the national news uh, in your stories, Tristan, or anyone else's. So we, we do hear only, you know, news is usually bad news. Chris, a story that... Uh, that came to our attention was uh, th this Make It Awkward campaign, uh, which comes out of Edmonton. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I mean, I, it's interesting to me that the public outrage about racism sort of crested there, because there, there are a couple other points where it could have crested, I think, this year. Um, and I happened to sort of observe one of them firsthand, secondhand. Um, I was 
again, for this podcast, uh, investigating history questions, helping someone figure out if there's ever been a black public school trustee in Edmonton. This really interesting, passionate young guy, Bashir Mohammed, um, who is curious about all these questions about racism in Alberta, and he wondered if there's ever been reflection of black history in our leadership in Edmonton at just one political level, school board trustees. Um, and as we were digging into it, we were discovering all this like interesting and horrifying stuff about racism in Edmonton. Like we found um, a yearbook from the 1930s that featured um, a black student and an allusion in his yearbook quote to Birth of a Nation, the film that um, like enchanted the KKK movement in the US in 1915. Um, we found references to the KKK in Edmonton. We found uh, old newspaper articles uh, saying we don't want no dark spots in Alberta. And we're digging into this like old history, thinking this is you know interesting context for how we live in Alberta. Midway through recording that and trying to figure out an answer to his question, we sort of took a pause for a week. He was biking down um, right by the new arena, um, and he was taking the middle of the lane on his bike, and an angry truck driver behind him started yelling at him, called him the N-word, and Bashir got out his smartphone and started filming as the guy got out of his truck and looked like he was about to hit him. Um, this confrontation, sort of cycling in cars, and also um, somebody who thought it was okay as a white dude to use the N-word to tell somebody to get out of their way. And that got a lot of people thinking about racism this summer. Uh, he had like 80,000 views on that video. Um, and he got a meeting with the mayor um, to talk both about how to make the city safer for cyclists and also safer for non-white people. And then a couple weeks later, this other incident happened to another awesome Edmontonian, Jesse Lipscomb. He was filming, I, I think, a boostery video for Edmonton, walking down the street. Um, no N-words at all, usually, when you're filming videos. Yeah, and somebody shouted the N-word at him from a car down the street. He wasn't even engaging with this guy. He was, Which is weird, right? Like, in Toronto, racists are quiet. You know, they'll just kind of go up to you at a Canadian tire and be like, well, I don't in my neighborhood. I mean, you don't <laughs> scream the N-word anymore. Yeah, He's done that since the 50s, so, it was, yeah. It, it was, yeah, the, the, what really struck me is people still feel the social license to use that word as a way of, like, asserting their power in Edmonton. So anyway, Jesse Lipscomb, he reacted to it in um, a, kind of a polite way. He approached the driver and kind of leaned over and was like, do you want to explain to me what you just said? Do you want to talk about that? Um, and they got this on film. Um, and Jesse got a, a meeting with the mayor too. And uh, the mayor started this hashtag campaign, make it out awkward. Have awkward conversations. Wasn't, the, well, okay, sorry. The mayor endorsed this campaign and was totally on board for it at that point. Of, of making it awkward and having those conversations. The mayor but, did not meet with him, but he said, I agree that we should make He did meet with him. Awkward. There are other people involved. I don't want to, you're right. There were definitely other people involved in that. I just think it was interesting that it crushed She's it. She made it awkward moment. for you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Ray Cash? Right on. Hi, Ray Cash. <laughs> the wonderful Ray Cash Walters. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting because, uh, I don't know, I asked Bashir what he, what he thought about that, and his take on it was, you know, maybe the reason why he didn't get a hashtag was he had a pretty angry response. He sh started swearing at the truck driver behind him who used the N-word, and Jesse had maybe a calmer response. Um, yeah. You have to imagine that uh, for every in incident like that that happens to get caught on a smartphone video, there's a hundred or a thousand that didn't. What, if anything, can we look at and... and learn anything about Edmonton here because we are having 
uh, an awkward but overdue conversation about Canadian racism. It's playing itself out differently in every city. In, in Winnipeg, uh, sort of went from this sharp rebuke to Nancy McDonald's reporting on calling Winnipeg the most racist city in, in Canada to the mayor saying, well, yeah, <laughs> we should probably do something about that. There's a history, though, of people coming in from, from all over the world and, and settling here. So how is that playing out now in Edmonton? Uh, to, to me, like the Edmonton's unique flavor of, of racism is yeah. mostly racism towards Indigenous people. Like uh, Gary Mustus, this community outreach worker, not long ago was just hanging out in the food court at the Edmonton City Center Mall and got kicked out uh, because I, I don't know, what did they think he was? Yeah. Just look, he looked person. homeless to yeah. whoever these security guards were. The city does have, like outside of Winnipeg, I think the highest indigenous population here. So there, there are big issues there, and the mayor is trying to address that. He, is, he has been a lot more proactive um, than previous mayors in dealing Treaty 6 and, and trying to be more inclusive. There's Aboriginal office in the city, that kind of thing. Reconciliation and Solidarity Edmonton. Rise Edmonton is doing some amazing events. There's an Indigenous History Series, regularly letting people have the opportunity to learn about history here. Um, the, the Green Space, uh, sort of a, an offshoot of Islamic Family Social Services, I think, in Edmonton. Right. Um, they're hosting some great events, getting people to talk about these issues. Um, and let's remember uh, the Omar Cotter story. It was the city where Omar Cotter's lawyers came from, and, and he's now residing here, and he's, he gets wonderful receptions wherever he goes, and, mm -hmm. and uh, so there hasn't been a, a you know, negative word against him, which might not happen in all Canadian cities, but... Uh, I think that uh, this is as good a time as any to invite uh, our audience here to come join in the conversation. Okay, uh, my name is Raykash. Hi, everyone. Um, hi, Jesse. And I really enjoy Candleland, so I just want to open with saying that I really enjoy your program. Thank you. Um, it's a really, yeah, it's great. Um, I just want to say that in the first part of your presentation and the panel, I think that there was an interesting discussion. There's a lot of things that I didn't know, and I was really glad to learn them. But in the second part, I feel like a lot of folks um, who were asked to present on the panel weren't necessarily uh, familiar with issues of racism, and the assertion that Edmonton is doing you know, better than we think we are in terms of issues of racism is actually um, completely inaccurate. And I think that if you had folks on the panel who were more familiar with this issue, you would learn um, more about things like there was a Syrian family who just had acid poured all over their car and acid poured in their engine a couple days ago. Um, the Make the Racism Free Edmonton initiative was defunded by the city of Edmonton. And actually, our mayor said that um, Edmonton doesn't have a race problem. And I had to go on um, CBC the National and basically call him out for that so there's a lot of different things that are going on in terms of like issues of racism in Edmonton and um, after this long spiel I think my real question is to you Jesse um, how are you going to do better when you go to different cities and ensuring that the issues that you're talking about are well covered with your panelists um, Thank you for your question. Thank you for your challenge. Uh, I think it's warranted by continually trying to do better and by trying to have as open and inclusive a conversation as possible. But I think we are better off for having your contribution to it.
That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me anytime. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadalandshow.com and our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Katie Jensen. We are here live in Edmonton. Thank you to Edmonton Lit Fest. Thank you to the Garneau Theatre. Thank you to Mike Winters for his help putting this episode together. We make this show available to community and campus radio across this country, and that is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.